Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you each week, talking to you about what's going on in the sports medicine world, and do it each week with my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, thanks for being on the show this week. Oh, man, NFL is underway, got and the, so we've got some injuries. we got the best time of the year going on. we got <laughs> baseball in the September uh, swing, you know, coming off the playoffs. we got NFL kicking off, getting ready to get going, the uh, hockey season getting ready to get going. So a lot of fun stuff going on in the sports world. Hey, remember, if you ever want to find out more about your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks, and catch our entire two hours, uh, maybe just listen to our SB Nation feed for our first hour. You catch our entire show uh, by going to our docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can find out about myself, Dr. Dan, what I do on my day job with uh, Tech Support and Spine, and Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, and find out all about his sports broadcasting. But uh, basically, we come from the deep in the heart of Texas here at our Docs and Jocks radio studio and talk about what's going on in the sports medicine world. We're going to be doing that this week with Russ Ortiz. And if you don't remember him, he was a great baseball player, pitcher, who won a College World Series with Oklahoma. Then he became an 18-game winner in his rookie year with the Giants. He won 21 games and led the National League in wins in 2003 and played with two of the very, very, very best teams in the National League during that time frame, the San Francisco Giants, who remember played the – uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim in the 2002 World Series. And then he also played with the Atlanta Braves as a quite a good pitching staff Ferris with Tom Glavin, uh, Greg Maddox, uh, man, uh, John Schmoltz. So Russ Ortiz. You're okay. Russ was uh, your counterpart, was a sports broadcaster, you, with the uh, WAC College uh, Baseball Playoffs last year. So you know him very well. Be fun talking to him. And yeah, the, he's a great guy. Great stories, yes. too, man. And he runs a great organization called uh, Second Guy Golf, which we'll ask him about that as well, which helps a lot of charitable organizations, not only in the Arizona area, but all across the nation. They're going to have on uh, young Mr. Caleb Mutton. And I mean, if you ever listen to Docs and Jocks, we've talked about my son Caleb. He's a uh, young baseball player. We're going to be talking with him and his strength and conditioning coach, Tag Deuce, who played on the number one ranked team in the nation, uh, Dallas Baptist uh, Patriots, back when he played with them in college. He was now a uh, certified strength conditioning coach. We'll be talking to him about how. How you do off-season training in baseball and all that goes with that. So you won't want to miss uh, Docs and Jocks both hours. Remember, you can always listen to us at DocsandJocks.com or listen to us on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks. We'll be right back with more of your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you tuning in this week and every week. Remember, you can ask us your question if you'd like to at docsandjocks.com. Just contact us there and email us your question. I'll try and get you on our sports medicine radio show here. Joined each week by Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, I thought we'd jump into the biggest sports medicine injury news uh, segment all week long, man. If you watched it and you were text- you and I were texting back and forth uh, along with our producer, Hawk, who we were talking about Aaron Rodgers and how this may – stamp his uh, one of the greatest, if not his uh, greatest, uh, quarterback Mount Rushmore pose possible when he came back in this game this week when they were down 23 to 22 to 10 to the Chicago Bears. He uh, gets injured in the first half. He then uh, comes back in the uh, fourth quarter and beginning of the fourth quarter, and he leads the Green Bay Packers past the Chicago Bears uh, 23 to 22 on a last-second theatrics on one leg. Uh, the injury is called a knee sprain. If you know, listen to Docs and Jocks, knee sprain means nothing. It's not really even a diagnosis. It just means you have some type of injury about the knee. Usually sprain is associated with a ligament injury. It's been reported that he has a medial collateral ligament sprain, which is the ligament on the inside of the knee that allows your knee to kind of, you know, if you're standing uh, not kneed, that position is called genuvalgus, and that stress uh, motion through that is what puts, puts uh, stress on your medial collateral ligament. 
Aaron Rodgers uh, comes back in, and just you could feel the entire stadium change when Aaron Rodgers came back, and you're like, can he do it? You're, you and I, Ferris, are both Arizona Cardinal fans. We saw him do this to our Cardinals in the playoffs a couple years ago. Cardinals, uh, he tied the game in the last second on a Hail Mary. Cardinals came back and won it. But did you feel the uh, momentum change when Aaron Rodgers came back in that game, and did you really think it was possible for him to do it again? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it was such when he just walked out there and started loosening up. And it was funny because he was just looking at guys just nodding his head. And you're like, oh, man, he's going to beat these guys. Yes. Like, he's going to win this. He's going to win this game. On just, one leg. He just knew it was going to happen. Yeah. One of the reasons Aaron Rodgers is so, in, so um, amazing is that he is so mobile. And so yeah. I thought, well, maybe, man, if he can't move around because he was really pretty stiff-legged. He wasn't really wanting to put a lot of weight on that left leg. I thought, well, maybe if he's not mobile, they can get to him, especially with Khalil Mack doing his thing over there now with the Chicago Bears who came over from the Raiders uh, just recently, and he was just tearing him up in the first half. I thought with him not being able to run and Khalil Mack rushing him from that side, maybe that would make a difference. But suddenly Aaron Rodgers became the greatest pocket quarterback of all time. You know, uh, Ronald Reagan once said, a rising tide lifts all ships, and he was talking about <laughs> yeah. the, the economy, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. But Aaron Rodgers, that's what leaders do, right? I mean – Everybody played so much better when he walked out on the field. I mean, they didn't touch him uh, until he scrambled that one time. Yeah. And receivers were making moves. Guys were making blocks. Um, he just lifted everybody's spirits. It actually, honestly, had he not gotten hurt, they might have lost that game because Chicago was playing great, yeah. you know. But, yeah, he just lifted everybody. But it's weird. There's only a few people like that. But you just realize, oh, he's going to win the game. He's going to get the ball back. And that's why when it was third and one and they went for the end zone, Chicago, for uh -huh. the knockout, and they didn't go for it on fourth and one, I was like, why are you giving him the ball back? Just <laughs> win it or lose it right here. Yes. Yeah, and, and uh, it was reminiscent of one of the greatest – I was thinking back, has there ever been an injury where a guy came back during – a one game that gave a team that big a lift, and it took me back. And then, if you're if you're young and listen to the show, there was the New York Knicks had a guy named Willis Reed who was one of the greatest players the, the New York Knicks ever had, and they were playing the Boston Celtics back in their heyday. And it was Game Seven of the NBA Finals, and Willis Reed, the best player, had been injured and not playing because he had a partially torn uh, quadriceps muscle, and so he wasn't expected to come back for Game Seven. The Knicks were on the ropes. The Celtics were going to win this game. They just felt everything was the Celtics, so. The game starting, Willis Reed doesn't even come out for the warm-ups. All of a sudden, out of the locker room, you see Willis Reed coming out with this huge strapped-on brace. You see him walking out of the court, and everything changed. I mean, Madison Square Gardens goes nuts. I mean, and now you could feel the momentum switch to the Knicks. Willis Reed gets the first pass of the game. He does a little back down, turns around, hits a little shot, and the place erupts, and the Knicks never look back. They end up going on winning game seven in the NBA Finals. It's considered one of the greatest injury comebacks and how, how it shifted the entire momentum of the game and be able to do that in game seven. For, for Aaron Rodgers to do it seem, seemingly over and over again is so remarkable. One of the reasons, Ferris, and I think this is, injury, in, this is very interesting from an injury standpoint, they were talking to Aaron Rodgers uh, in an interview after the game, and I've been scouring the news for this, he says the reason he was able to, to function so well on one leg is in high school, he tore his anterior cruciate ligament. He ruptured the ligament, the big ligament in the knee. And even after he had the surgery to repair it or reconstruct it, he still felt pain in the knee. And he said, I learned how to hobble around at age 16, 17, 18 and hmm. throw off a of one leg and not put weight on my front leg and still be an effective quarterback. 
And then he said he had a scope of his knee because it had hurt him so long. He had a scope of his knee a couple years ago. An arthroscopy, scope short for arthroscopy, which is basically a clean-out procedure of your knee where they go in with a little camera. They go in with a little portal that puts fluid in the knee so you can see water in the knee. And they go in with a little instrument and like a little shaver, and they can shave off a torn meniscus. They can clean out any floating uh, bone spurs called osteophytes. Uh, so you, you call them joint mice. You can take all that out of the knee and you clean it up. And he said, you know, his knee wasn't hurting, and so he was more mobile. But I thought it was very, very interesting, the fact that he said, one of the reasons I could could do what I do, did in that game was because I had done that before when I was in high school, and I learned how to throw off a of one leg. Does that make sense to you, Ferris, that he was able to do that? Yeah, I mean, I just think he was able to do it because he's the greatest quarterback that's ever played. <laughs> I, mean, I, I seriously, you texted I've, I've me that during the game. While. I just... I mean, there's a lot of great quarterbacks, but just this, when he just does stuff seemingly by himself, that's not taking anything away. I mean, Cobb made a great catch and run. Yeah, I mean, right. guys were blocking. I mean, look, it's a it's a game of everybody, but yeah, it was. I felt bad. I had buddies who are who are Bears fans. What gets lost in it is I thought Mitchell Trubisky played well in the first half, and then he actually after he got after he got they got kicked back on their heels with Rodgers. He actually had a nice drive down there toward the end of the yeah. game and almost iced it. Just missed a guy in the end zone, and yeah. then they kick the field goal, getting the ball back. But Except Trubisky did have a bear fumble in there. Remember, a bear yeah. butt fumble, I think we'd call it. Because remember, he had the butt fumble? Not like yeah. the Mark Sanchez butt fumble, but he butt fumbled against one of his guys, so they're calling it the bear butt fumble now. But So explain this to me, okay? <laughs> he makes a fumble like that. There are guys who make mistakes and other teams' capitalism. Aaron Rodgers on second down threw the ball right to Oh, should have had it, man. His receivers crossed. It was they, destiny. they got taken yeah. up and fell down. And he, he threw, threw right threw to it. Him. Right. How come when Aaron Rodgers does that or when Tom Brady does that or when Peyton Manning does it, nobody catches it? When my quarterback for the Chiefs does it, they catch it every time and run it back for a touchdown. <laughs> I don't know. Why it's is just that? I think I'm, honestly, I think it's because players get so juiced up when you're if you're a defensive back, if you're a cornerback, if you're a safety, who do you want to tell your grandkids you caught an interception off of? You want to tell him you caught it off of Brady. You want to tell him you caught it off of Drew Brees. You want to tell him you caught it off of Aaron Rodgers. You don't want to tell him you caught it off of – this is no thing to him because he's young, but Trubisky. I mean, you want to say you yeah. caught it off the best, right? You want to cut it – so yeah. I think they get juiced up. They get all jacked up for this game, and they want to do it so bad that sometimes when you're overly energized and you're overly zealous to make a great play, it just doesn't happen your way sometimes. Who was that D-back that caught it or he dropped it because – Oh, the announcers were so quick with the stat of oh, no. he had eight thrown to him and dropped six of them last year. You know, they were sitting <laughs> on that stat the whole, whole game. game yeah. And it happened right then, and they were, like, fighting each other of who could throw that stat out there. The poor guy. Yeah, he dropped six of them last year. The crazy thing about Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and some of the great ones is it seems like no matter who the cast is around them, they can figure out a way to win with whatever cast it is. I mean, we've seen it with Tom Brady throwing to a former lacrosse player. We've seen it now with no Jordy Nelson this year. You know, the first time Aaron Rodgers had everybody said he's so great because he has great, great wide receivers with Cobb and Jordy Nelson, and the list goes a long time. But no Jordy Nelson this year, and he still figures out a way to take him down the field and score the touchdowns when they absolutely need it. It was amazing. Yeah, and I, you know, those guys are great when they're with him. But like, I, I remember Greg Jennings. He was a yeah. hundred catch guy, thousand yard receiver. Went to the Vikings, and we never heard from him again. And that's kind of what happens with Aaron Rodgers. But I guess the big question is prognosis. I mean, I don't think they've come out specifically and said what it was, but he said flat out, "I'm playing next week." Yeah, he said that right after. Then halfway through the week, he said, "Well, maybe." And so now, <laughs> so now we don't really know. A medial collateral ligament is really one of those ones that you can semi brace up. 
I mean, you really truly can't 100% take any one particular range of motion out, but genuvalgus, the mo- movement that puts the pressure on the inside of your knee is one that you can put a brace on the outside of the knee that kind of buttresses it, and they're going to try and play with that brace most likely. They're playing the Vikings, in the in, and right now the North is, I mean, that's a big game, even though it's early in the season. Huge game. Yeah, they got to try and beat the Vikings. Uh, so I would suspect he's probably going to try with a brace to play. He played on one leg last week, and he did very, very well. The difference is that your game planning when you don't have a mobile Aaron Rodgers changes completely. Now they can just right. rush him. You know, they don't have to put a spy on him or that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see. But Aaron Rodgers is definitely one of the greats. Hey, when we come back, we're going to be talking about an interview with uh, Major League Baseball all-star pitcher Russ Ortiz. Stay with us here on Docs and Jocks. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, coming to you from inside the Docs and Jocks radio studio here deep in the heart of Texas, joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, the uh, voice for Grand Canyon University. And uh, Ferris, we have on one of your uh, colleagues uh, who's joined you in the uh, broadcasting booth last year in the college baseball uh, WAC tournament. We have on former Major League Baseball pitcher, former uh, National League All-Star, as well as National League wins leader, Russ Ortiz. Uh, Russ, thanks for being on the show. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah, good to be on. Yeah, I also forget, failed to mention in the intro there that you were also a College World Series champion with University of Oklahoma. Take us back. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about the College World Series and what an experience that was when you were helping pitch uh, Oklahoma to a College World Series. Yeah, that's right. I was my sophomore year, 1994. Um, we, uh, we went 4-0 in the regional, uh, which was at the University of Texas and went 4-0 in the College World Series. And, um, yeah, we, we're definitely one of those uh, Cinderella story teams. You know, we knew we were good, but nobody else knew how good we were uh, until, you know, after regionals and after the World Series when we're host, hoisting that trophy. But, uh, yeah, we, we did really, really well. We had a really solid team, and it was a fun team. And, uh, yeah, that was just a, a – uh, up until I pitched in the World Series, that was my biggest highlight, uh, you know, of my life, pretty much. Yeah, pretty great team to go undefeated in the regionals and in the College World Series. Ferris, you have a question for uh, Russ Ortiz? Hey, Russ, we have a lot of, uh, you know, parents listening and their kids are trying to do what you did, you know, get first off to the college. How did you go from, because you grew up on the West Coast, how did you get to Oklahoma? What was that recruiting process like for you? And what made the decision to go play for the Sooners all those years ago? Well, my my pitching coach in high school, he pitched in call, or he uh, was a pitching coach at college at Pepperdine uh, before he got to our school, and so he he knew the the coaches at Cal State Fullerton at that time who were who ended up being the coaches at Oklahoma, you know, Larry Cochelle mm. and Pat Harrison yeah. and Vern Rule, and so they're at Fullerton, and he got to know them. And actually, I didn't even sign in, uh, with Oklahoma until the the last semester of my senior year and um i had taken a wow. trip to long beach state and i had a full ride there i take a trip i took a trip to pepperdine um a trip to oklahoma state and so i had uh, some options and my pitching coach said hey what do you think about oklahoma and honestly i said i don't i didn't even know they had a baseball team <laughs> i never heard anything about them yeah i never heard anything about wow. them and he said he told me about the coaches there and uh, he said, I think you should check it out. And, yeah, next thing you know, I went, visited, talked to the coaches. I thought having Vern Rule as a pitching coach yeah. um, you know, would be awesome. And, yeah, and so it was definitely the right decision. Well, let's fast forward a little bit. You get uh, drafted by the San Francisco Giants and end up playing for two 
probably the two premier National League teams, the best in the National League for those years that you played. San Francisco Giants early in the 2000s went to the, the uh, World Series, as well as one of the greatest pitching staffs ever uh, put together with the Atlanta Braves. Tell us what it was like playing first for the uh, San Francisco Giants. Yeah, I had I had a really, really good my first uh, seven years in the big leagues. And, you know, not only with the organizations, but – with the managers and pitching coaches and, and teammates. And, um, I mean, we, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, for, for me to be able to, uh, make the opening day roster in 98, uh, and, you know, be the, I, I think at that time, the youngest guy on the team, just kind of watching everybody and just learning and, um, and, you know, being able to, to see where I needed to get to in order to stay in the big leagues a long time. And, and uh, yeah, so two great organizations. Um, they're a little different. One, you know, the Giants are very family-oriented. Uh, the Braves are very business-oriented, uh, and but uh, they expect the same things on the field. Once, you know, once you're in the clubhouse and the dugout on the field, they expect you to, to get the job done, work hard, and, and win. And yeah. so – so that's what I love. That's how I was groomed in, in high school and college. And, and so, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal for me. That was right up my alley. And, and so I just did everything I could to pick everybody's brain and uh, kind of follow, follow their lead early on and then actually try to be a leader, um, you know, once I got some time under my belt. Hey, we're talking to Russ Ortiz here, former Major League Baseball pitcher with the Giants and the Braves, uh, all-star as well. Fair share a question for Russ? Yeah, Russ, you know, those two organizations, obviously organizationally great, uh, great GMs, great team presidents, owners, all that stuff. But, man, two of the best pitching coaches in uh, maybe the history of baseball and Dave Rigetti and Leo Mazzoni. What do, I know you can't synthesize all of it, but what did you learn from those guys and were able to make you make the jump from pitching NCAA Division One into the big leagues? Well, I think with, with Rags, uh, with the Giants, I mean, he he talked to us about, I mean, it was amazing. He he knew every pitch that we threw, every single pitch you threw throughout the whole season. Uh, it's pretty pretty remarkable. Uh, one of those things where you just shake your head, like, how does he know what pitch I threw, you know, uh, seven games ago in this one situation? But but that's that's what he had, and and so we would talk about during his career, like there was just no fear, no fear of making a mistake, no fear of failure all that and it was just getting after it and and being smart about it and and so so with rags he was always just constantly just uh you know kind of preaching don't be afraid to make a mistake and you know and then enjoy your time up there enjoy your time uh you know love what you're do, doing and, and stuff and and you're out there to work hard to get the job done to help the team win and and leo in a sense you know same thing. I mean, he pushed me really hard to to be the best I uh, that I could be, and and so the stuff that I came to Atlanta with, he really liked. He really liked the fact that I was stubborn and, and that I mm-hmm. didn't give in and all that. But then the things that we tweaked were basically um, no have a plan on every pitch. Have a you know make sure that every pitch has a purpose. And uh, he would you know I would come in the dugout you know give up a hit or a run or whatever and he would say hey tell me what you were thinking with that pitch and I would tell him and he's like okay so then it was just execution and <laughs> and so he you know he was uh, as long as we had a plan as long as we had a purpose with every pitch he was fine with it and 
but he always preached execution. Yeah. You know, a well-executed pitch is better than anything, you know, and especially a well-located fastball um, <laughs> is the best pitch in baseball. Right. And so, so I, that's what I learned. I learned from Leo is just trying to get ahead early, especially, you know, with a down-and-away fastball. Hey, Russell, your time with the Atlanta Braves, one of the greatest pitching staffs of all time, which reminds me, my young son was taking lessons with a guy who had pitched in the rotation with the Dodgers, with uh, Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale and the likes. And he was uh, telling my young son during a pitching lesson, he's like, here's how Sandy Koufax threw his curveball. Here's how Don Drysdale threw his four-seamer. Do you ever catch yourself when you're giving a lesson saying, hey, here's how Maddox threw the uh, slider. Here's how Glavin threw his curveball. Do you ever catch yourself doing that? Oh, well, first of all, Maddox never showed anybody how he do pitches. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was kind of the one thing. It was like, you know, he never really sh- – I never really saw him show anybody, like, how he holds the ball and how he throws pitches and stuff. And wow. It's just kind of one of those things that uh, I think he just kept to himself. Um, you know, he was fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, he's a great, Amazing. great, great guy, great teammate fun to watch and you know obviously arguably one of the best ever ever lived but uh but i mean i the things that he did with the ball is just like look maddox did stuff like this like no hardly anybody can do anything like that so uh i don't i don't ever try to preach that it just the thing for me is is you know is especially with telling little kids it's like look just throw the ball at the plate you know when you're when you're uh you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. Um, if you're not at an elite level, like who cares if you get hit? I mean, just throw strikes. You need to throw strikes. Then once you start throwing strikes, then you can start dialing it in to smaller areas and stuff like that. But right. but if you can't even throw strikes, then who cares? That's, yeah. You know, and um, you know, I, I got to coach my son little league team. I've been waiting to do that for eight years, so yeah. <laughs> I got to do that this past season. That's all I just told the kids. Like, look, I don't care if you get hit. I don't, I don't care if they, they hit every single pitch you throw up there. I said, I just want you to throw strikes. and right. uh, Because I believe that if they threw strikes, you know, kids that are eight, nine years old, they're not going to hit everyone, you know, and then they'll start seeing outs and, and all that. And then, you know, they're not walking everybody, but uh, I think right. I think a lot of times people put too much emphasis on like you know strikeouts and stuff you know at such a young age and um, and you know ERAs and all that stuff and you know it's just they're out there to have fun and learn and so learn how to throw strikes like I said Leo said hey you know down away first pitch fastball uh, is the best pitch you can you can have and there's stats to back that up. Hey, I want to hey, uh, Russ, oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Mo- mo- most important question with Glavin, Maddox, you, um, who's who's the best golfer of, of that crew? <laughs> uh, when you guys, most, in your foursome, who's the best yeah, golfer? John Smoltz is the best golfer uh, by far. So uh, I've never played with with Glavin. He was gone. He went to the Mets uh, when I got there. Okay. But uh, I heard I heard he's second in line, and um, you know, I would say I was pretty on par with Maddox. He may be a little bit better than me before, but now now I'd like to probably I would say that, you know, I'm probably second or third on that line. We'll slide you in second. <laughs> hey, I want to say thank you, Russ, for coming on uh, Docs and Jocks. I also want to give a big shout-out to your two guys golf organization, man. If you ever buy golf apparel, his organization is raising money for numerous great charities. Couldn't be a better thing. Two guys golf. Go check it out. And uh, Russ, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Yeah, thanks, thanks, yeah. 
Hey, uh, uh, we'll have to have you on again real soon, man. We'd love to have you come on and just talk a whole segment about, you know, just uh, basically go- pitching mechanics of what you did in your uh, career to make yourself not only a College World Series champ, but a National League All-Star. Won 21 games, was a National League wins champion of all of uh, 2003. Thanks for being on the show. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after a short commercial break. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you listen today. Remember, you can listen to us anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Always glad to have my co-partner, my co-host here, Ferris Potter. Ferris, uh, tell us a little bit about one of our sponsors, Chike. Yeah, we're really happy that Chike came aboard as a sponsor. I know you guys have been using the products for a yes. number of years. Um, I've got some uh, some of their high-protein coffee flavor. I mean, they have original ice, they have mocha, they have vanilla, but I mean, dude, Peanut butter. I mean, yes. it's a no-brainer, right? So I got some peanut butter in the mail, two shots of espresso, 20 grams of whey protein, and only a little bit of sugar, just a couple of grams of sugar, which I really like because yes. I try to limit the sugar intake. So it's uh, C-H-I-K-E, uh, Chike Nutrition. They can fuel your focus, power your day. Check them out. I like Chike.com. And Docs and Jocks listeners, use the uh, discount code D-O-X-N-J-O-X. 20% off your order. Chike Nutrition, check it out, man. I know you, you've used it for quite a while, right, Dr. Dan? I know your yes. kids used it. Hawk uses it. Yeah, I call my boy uh, Caleb Mutton, who's coming on the show later on, talk a little about uh, baseball training. But uh, we call him Chike Boy sometimes because he does one early in the morning with his easy way to get some uh, high high uh, whey protein, good whey protein, yeah. high quality whey protein. And then he does it right before he goes to bed with some milk. It's kind of slow digesting along with the whey protein. So, uh, yeah, no, we've been doing it for a long time. And he's, you know, he's six foot, about 210 pounds. And, uh he, uh, we always call him Chike Boy because he's been doing it for like the last 15 I, years. So Yeah, I mean, they're a great partner. They have been for years. And I noticed that, though, I think I think they might give us some T-shirts, but I always see Hawk with a different T-shirt. I've The T-shirts have not made it to me or you. <laughs> I've never seen you wear one. I've never worn one. They're so my workout shirt. he a different color. he got a different color every week. They're my workout shirt. On. I actually work out in Chike, so <laughs> I love working the workout shirt. Speaking of workout, right now, our, our Docs and Jocks, our sports medicine radio show, comes from you uh, inside our radio studio, which sits inside the Forge Training Facility here in Abilene, Texas, deep in the heart of Texas. And right now, as I look out on the Forge Training Facility, it's a big, open, uh, turfed, you know, 40-yard by 40-yard field. And we have about 50 airmen from Dias Air Force Base, which sits uh, in Abilene, Texas, lives in Abilene, Texas, working out, doing a crazy workout with Coach David Hess. We always talk about, Ferris, the best exercises. Which exercise? The one you will do. And so these guys are checking out to see if they like this exercise, this boot camp style exercise. I can't imagine a bunch of military dudes who uh, want to go into, some of them uh, want to go into spec ops and do f- cool stuff, and they're always doing cool stuff in the military. We love the fact they're doing what they're doing to serve their country. But, man, uh, how, how can they not like a boot camp style workout? And Coach David Hess comes up with these really unique workouts. I want to say thank you to Eduardo, my good friend, my workout buddy who brought him in today. But, uh, man, it is cool to see these guys out doing their thing. Inside our studio, by the way. Yeah, I would imagine those guys are going to get a little competitive, and I'd imagine that Coach Hess is going to encourage that. He's 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 got a little crazy going on there. He's got a little crazy. He gets, other, a little, he gets a little intense. Or other coaches, <laughs> uh, Colton Rizzo, we got Say, we got Tag Deuce, uh, we got uh, Jess, well, all the coaches here at uh, inside the Forge Abilene there, huh? doing their crazy thing right now. Man. But, uh, yeah, Tag Deuce, uh, you get a little crazy. He also runs our board, engineering board, during the show, and you like to get a little competitive, don't you, at times? Absolutely. Yeah, he's been on the radio show and getting ready to come that on. That does make in the it fun, hour. right? You like doing yes. that, doing a little competition with your workout. You, you know what? Here's what. There was a guy named Peter Schnell. He was an exercise physiologist. I've used this study many times, but it was one of the ones that stood out to me. And if you're going to continue exercising for a long period of time, you got to pick something you enjoy doing. And so when we say the best type of exercise is the one you will do, is absolutely you find the exercise that you enjoy doing, 
you're more likely to stick with it. If you do it with a group of like-minded people, whether that's an accountability partner, if you work out with your spouse, if you work out with a friend, if you... I just know when I was training for a triathlon, there were mornings when I was waking up and I was like, I don't want to go for a cold swim this morning. But I knew my buddy, Dr. Tim Melton, <laughs> was going to be out there waiting on me and I knew I was going to go do it if he was doing it. So if you have a, gr- a group or somehow an accountability group that keeps you uh, going in the day, every day. And then if you reward yourself, and my reward was doing some type of competitive activity that I knew there was something in the future I was training for. And that was my reward. It was my Pavlov dog moment. I knew that I had something out there that I wanted to reach. I wanted to get that goal. And I wanted to have that, you know, that uh, training moment mean something. And that's what I did. It's different for everybody. You know, my wife, when she works out, if she likes to buy, you know, a new workout outfit or a new dress or something, if she's training, then that's how she rewards herself. But it's different for everybody. But those are the things that will keep you exercising. So, yeah, no, find out what it is you'll enjoy doing. Do with some like-minded people if you have the ability to do that. Ferris does it in P90X. He's way more self-disciplined than I am. He does it out in his uh, garage every morning and uh, every day and, and does it faithfully wherever he's at. That's the great thing about P90X, by the way. I can't transport the forge with me to another facility, though Coach Hess will write me some great right. workouts. P90X, right. you can take it with you anywhere you go. You've done it in New York. You've done it you know, out in California. You've done it out in Arizona where you live, so you can take it anywhere. But that's a, that's a good self-discipline if you can do it yourself like Ferris does. But you're, guys like you are a little bit few and far between. Well, you know, and I think in this day and age, too, there's so many different types of people putting out good workouts. And we've also learned, too, some high-intensity stuff. You don't have to work out for an hour at a time. I mean, you can, but if you've only got 20 minutes in between or 15, 30 minutes, whatever, in between meetings or whatever, you're in a hotel. I mean, when we go on the road with GCU and stuff, it's kind of fun sometimes to just – I mean, if you just literally, if you're on a hotel that's at least got three or four floors and you just run up and down stairs – and you run to the top, and then you do like sit ups and push ups, and you walk down and run to the top again. You get a good workout doing oh, stuff yeah, like that. Absolutely. You don't have to go to the gym, you know? Yeah. So there's so many workouts out there, um, you know, burpees to buy. I mean, anything you can do, but you're right. It's just pick something, something you enjoy, and just start doing it. We had Coach Sam Shields on the show one time. He was talking about the greatest game, football game ever played against, it was uh, John Paul Tyler versus Tyler John Tyler. And I forget all the teams that played, but it's the greatest football game ever. Sam Shields was the coach in, and he came on our show. But I was with Coach Shields when he was coaching at Hardin-Simmons University, and we were traveling up in uh, Minnesota, and we were staying at this hotel. And I noticed when we were going in the hotel, we were staying right next to this pretty sheer mountain-looking area. And so when you walk out of the hotel, the mountain face is kind of right there. And so I'm, I'm walking out of the hotel. I was training for a marathon or a triathlon at the time, actually. And I was going to go do my early morning run. So I'm waking up, and it's like, I don't know, like 6 o'clock because the team had to be somewhere at 7. We had to be then eating. And so I was trying to get my workout in early, and I walk, I'm walk. i walking out of the hotel at 6 a.m. It's just turning in, you know, it's just dawn. And Coach Shields is walking in, and he has like mm-hmm. a piece, a, a twig stuck in his one ear, and he, and, and he has some leaves on the other, and he's kind of scratched up on his arms. And Coach Shields at that time was, he was close to 70 years old. I said, Coach Shields, what, were you, what are you doing, man? What are you walking in from the dark? Where you been? He goes, oh, I just climbed that mountain. I'm like, what? <laughs> he had literally scaled the side of this like sheer, like almost like mountainous just drop off. He had climbed that in the dark, and that was what he did. So if you have an excuse, whatever the excuse is, we've talked to blind long snappers here. We've talked to people with who have lost appendages. We've talked to people who have all kinds of crazy disabilities that didn't think they should be able to do what they did or people told them they couldn't do what they did. Coach Shields is 70 years old and just climbed the side of a mountain. And I remember walking up, going out to my run that morning thinking, if Coach Shields has enough willpower to get up on game day at 5 a.m. to go climb the side of a mountain at almost 70 years of age, I can go out here and train my lazy rear end 
to go out and do a triathlon and do my, my swim and my run, and I did, and I felt better about it. So always find inspiration from anybody out there, and, and that's, how you, that's how you do it. There's always great you stories. Yeah, you know, I know we're doing the middle strength a minute with uh, Tracy, the lovely Tracy Mountain uh, later on at the end of this one. But, I mean, do you find, too, I mean, people say it all the time, even if you're down, we all have those moments where we don't feel great, we're down, we're depressed, whatever. If you go do a workout of any kind, it, it actually, to me, it jumpstarts everything else. And so yeah. you will feel better mentally, you know, spiritually, everything. To me, if you just go do something, get active, get moving. Yeah, that's scientifically proven. You uh, trigger parts of your brain that give you uh, these runners, and you know, not runners, it's called a runner's high, but you trigger endorphins being released. It's parts of your brain that give you like this feeling, almost like a, you know, a high. Some people call it a, almost like a spiritual moment when you exercise. It's your amygdala, is the part of your brain that releases some of those endorphins. So scientifically proven that you get a rush or a buzz from exercise and that's what you're talking about you just feel better so they looked at people who exercise they found that they had much less incidence of depression than those who were non-exercisers it was almost like taking a um, you know like an antidepressant type pill i'm not saying you should get off your antidepressants if you're on them but i'm just saying if you want to do things that help you feel in a better mood and lift your mood routine regular exercise that you enjoy doing and you enjoy doing with others or you enjoy you know rewarding yourself that is a very positive thing you can do for your mood and, and definitely there's a mental side of exercise that is a very very positive not only the physical changes in your body you're at as you adapt but also your brain adapts to that as well i can ask you this now ferris you've been doing p90x for a long period of time and you, there's almost like part of you now that says if you don't do that you feel awkward you don't feel as well and you look forward to it at some point in time do you not Oh yeah. I mean, it gets the day. So I do it in the morning cause that's, I know I'll get it done, but you know, there's rest days in there for P90X and I'm typically on those rest days. I'm like, I feel like I should be doing something. I want to go do something, you know, so yeah. I'll throw something else in there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you get in a rhythm of doing it. I mean, that, like you said, it doesn't have to be P90X. It doesn't have to be a group training thing, just anything, but something you like, like I, for a while there when running was big, I was like, Oh, I got to go out and run a couple of miles every day. And I hate running. I know. So guess yeah. what happened? I'd do it twice, and then I wouldn't do it anymore. And I'd, yeah. like, I'd feel bad about myself. So don't do something you don't like doing. Try it out. If you don't like it, try something else. And even if you have a reason that you can't do certain things, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, I recently I just I cracked a little bone in my foot, so there I can't do certain running activities. So I've been doing, I've been modifying it. So this has been, I've been doing more strength training and those types of things. And I can do upper extremity type uh, cardiovascular type exercise to get my heart rate up a bit. So everybody has a reason. There's something, whether it's knee arthritis or whether it's a, a bad back, it doesn't mean you stop altogether. It just means you modify it. I think, though, I mean, one common thing, I and mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong because you're the expert in this, we would probably encourage everybody to do in any type of workout you do have some sort of strength training. It's 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 good to lift something. You know, I Mark Sisson, who I like the primal uh, nutrition guy, he talks about lifting heavy things. You know, it's, yeah. it's good to throw in a little bit of lifting and a little bit of strength training, yeah, not I, just a bunch of cardio and stuff. Yeah, and obviously we always encourage everybody to seek their own sports medicine physician, their own personal physician, make sure if you do have limitations, check with them first. But, yes, resistance training is a big part of what you really gain the most benefit of what you're looking for when you do that type of training cardiovascular training and just so Kate uh, Ferris and I were talking to make sure we're all on the same page aerobic activity is what increases your heart rate and it's really really good for your heart what strength training does is it gives you better balance better athleticism more strength so if you're elderly and you really want to improve your ability to get out of bed at night and not fall having good core strength and having good strength is a very 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 beneficial in fact 
I've talked to a lot of friends of mine who do exercise physiology as a, as a profession, and they say that if you walked into an assisted living facility that uh, has senior citizens, it probably should be more, look more like a weight room than it should a treadmill room because mm-hmm. they really say the benefits that most elderly are looking for are really found in resistance training. And athletes obviously know the benefits of resistance training, but you're exactly right. You want to do some type of aerobic activity, get your heart rate up, let it come back down, get it back up, get it back down. And then you want to do some type of resistance training, which builds muscle mass. You're exactly right. And would you say that the part of the brain that likes the, that helps give you the kind of the runner's say is the amygdala? Amygdala. Yeah. You release okay. endorphins I, from your, from yeah. your amygdala. So I'm always looking for cool names for dogs. I think my next dog is going to be named Amygdala. Amygdala. That's yeah. Kind of a cool name, <laughs> yeah. Right? Endorphin. So, yeah. Here, Amygdala. Here, boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or Endorphin, man. Just call him Indo. That's a good name. Sure. Oh, Boom. that's even better. Hey, you're looking for a nickname. <laughs> Indo. You want me to be an or- Endorphin? Because we bring like a lot it. of happiness to people's lives here. So, yeah, you'll release a lot of great things when you exercise, a lot of good things in your in your. Uh, hormonal system uh, happen when you are doing good exercise speaking of good things coming on we're having on tracy munton here she's going to come up and she's going to do our mental strength minute the edge mental strength is a great place to go you can go to docsandjocks.com click on the edge mental strength icon and it takes you to a free evaluation that you can do and it uh, she'll get back with you and find out how you deal with those things so with tracy munton with the mental strength minute athletes hear a lot about the importance of being a team player and putting the team first Sadly, though, it seems many athletes do not understand this concept. Society today puts so much influence on the individual and individual accomplishments that the true team concept may suffer. Athletes, however, can learn about the importance of team and how to be a great teammate. They can learn what it takes to sacrifice for the team and what it means to truly put the team first. The great basketball player Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said it best when he stated, A team will always appreciate a great individual if he is willing to sacrifice for the group. Learning to put the team first while also working towards individual goals and dreams is something that we can help athletes with here at the Edge Mental Strength Training. If you or an athlete you know are interested in learning more about this, you can contact us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. I want to say thank you to all our SB Nation listeners, man. It's been a great show for you guys. Hey, if you ever want to catch our second hour of our show, you can do so by going to either our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, or you can go to our uh, our website, docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and listen to our show that way as well. Hey, I want to say thank you to our guest we had on, Russ Ortiz, former Major League Baseball player with the uh, San Francisco Giants and Atlanta Braves. I want to give a big shout-out to his uh, uh, second guy, Golf. Remember, you can uh, look at that golf apparel, which all the proceeds of that go to great charities. You can go onto this website, 2ggapparel.com. That's 2ggapparel.com. And anything you uh, purchase from uh, Second Guy Golf, it goes to uh, straight to their uh, charitable golf uh, proceeds. So I want to say thank you to uh, Russ, not only coming on, but also doing great things, what he's doing with Second Guy Golf. Hey, Ferris, uh, been a great show so far. I thought we'd close with a couple of quick hits here as far as uh, what's going on in the sports medicine news. Been some big injuries, obviously. Big Ben Roethlisberger looks like he's going to be back uh, playing. He's, he actually practiced today with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, his elbow was injured uh, during last game. But Big Ben's one of those guys, man, he can be up a lot of injuries. It's going to take a lot to keep that dude down, man. He is a big guy. He holds the ball a long time, so he gets hit a lot. But he seems always, like you said, he always comes back, and he plays hurt really well. Yeah, absolutely. And then we got uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Devontae Freeman is questionable with a knee injury. We now have Marcus Mariota, the uh, Tennessee Titans quarterback, and it looks like he had an injury to his 
nerve in his elbow called the ulnar nerve, which hit, made his entire hand go numb, and he had a lost grip strength. And that's what your ulnar nerve does. It gets, supplies about half your hand with sensation and gives you grip strength. So I would think he's going to be questionable just because it is a nerve injury. A couple of big retirements this week. We have Ryan Howard, who a uh, 38-year-old first baseman for the Phillies, multiple uh, – three-time All-Star, as well as David Wright, the uh, third baseman for the New York Mets, who was a seven-time All-Star. Both of those guys announced their retirements. In big part, Ferris, due to what? Yeah, injuries. Injuries, man. Sure David Wright David had Wright, numerous man. ones, oh. and Ryan Howard was never the same after his Achilles ruptures. So, uh, yeah. man, it's been rough on those guys. But nice careers, both of them. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks next week here on SB Nation. Stay tuned to our show. If you're listening to our second hour, go to iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, the sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University. Man, great to have you part of our show. Remember, you can catch our show anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Hey, Ferris, I thought we'd jump in the second hour, just jump right into a big story in the news right now. Uh, Shohei Otani, and you and I were talking about this last week. He uh, Now the question is becoming, because of his ulnar collateral ligament and uh, – his soon-to-be Tommy John surgery, he is going to miss all the 2019 season with regards to any mm. kind of throwing. They are now debating, based on what has been released by what the Angels are talking about, whether or not they wish to continue to make him, in 2020, a starting pitcher once a week, or do they go to a relief pitcher situation where he throws about six innings instead of six innings as a starter, throws six innings as a reliever all throughout the week. And so the question is, is it harder on your elbow to throw six hours of lower intensity pitching as or six hours, six innings of lower intensity pitching as a starter or six innings of higher intensity pitching as a closer? I would my mm. my thought is because you spread it out, even though you spread yeah. it out, I still think when you're throwing as hard as you can right off the bat, and you're throwing, maybe you got to get the out, and you got to go hard intensity. I think relief pitching, if he does relieve three times a week, like they're talking about, six innings, maybe two innings, three times a week, I think that would actually, in a weird way, be harder than once a week as a starter. Because what they've been doing is they've been giving him, giving him the day off of pitch of hitting before and after. So he misses three days of hitting, but then he, he has those three days to both get ready, pitch, and then recover. I think reliever would actually be harder. So they're not talking about closer, though. They're talking about, like, mid-reliever. They're talking about possibly closer. They just said they're trying role. to figure out. They're trying to see if there's any studies out there. And I don't know if there are that shows whether or not there's more trauma to the elbow with, with relief pitching versus starting. Because both ways, you're probably going to be pitching in any given inning. You know, any given week, you're going to be pitching about six innings. The only thing I'm thinking is with a reliever, if you're just pitching one inning, you're, 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 you're getting heated up. And then you're done. you're done. Whereas with a starter and a, and a mid-reliever, you're getting heated up, you're sitting, then you're heating up again and sitting. I don't know if that matters or not. But Yeah, a closer wouldn't be. That, that is true because closers very rarely these days go more than one inning. That might be actually true. You warm up, pitch, and you're done as opposed to, to resting and then going again. Yeah, good point. But, yeah, it's going to be hard. I still think probably they're going to make Shohei Otana because he's, he's had the highest OPS uh, since the All-Star break of any player. So just I think hit. he's just a great hitter, man. I think they're going to make him a great right fielder. And just that'll play be right field, exactly. man. Exactly. So. Yeah. Hey, stay tuned with us on our second hour here on Docs and Jocks. We're going to be having a call on, coming on uh, Mr. Caleb Mutton talking about young baseball players and how you do strength conditioning. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. 
You're listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, it's great to have you joining us today. Man, if you ever want to join us anytime, anywhere, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com. Find out all about our show there as well, D-O-X and J-O-X. Hear all about our great sponsors like Chike Nutrition, uh, man, uh, First Financial, Firehouse Subs, Buffalo Wild Wings. Man, we want to say thank you to all our wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sponsors. And, uh, man, if you ever want to be a sponsor, go to docsandjocks.com and contact us there and become a sponsor on our sports medicine radio show. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Hey, Ferris, we were talking about uh, Big Ben uh, Roethlisberger earlier in the show and how he has had an elbow injury, but he's probably going to try and play this week. He practiced on Thursday. He had missed two days of practice before that. He's been one of those guys that it's been known that he's had multiple different injuries. He's played through them. He just seems like a guy that takes a lot of shots and gets up and keeps going. And uh, now he is uh, back. But I think the big, bigger sports medicine story with the Pittsburgh Steelers last week was the fact that uh, you had uh, James Conner, who we highlighted here on the show last week, who had come through yep. Hodgkin's lymphoma with the University of Pitt where he played his uh, undergraduate at. He played – uh, his first two years, had exceptional years. His junior year, he gets diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, ends up missing an entire year, comes back his senior year. The Pittsburgh Steelers take a chance on him. They pick him in the third round. He uh, gets a starting chance because of Levy and Bell's, his staying out um, because of uh, contract and, and, and contract issues and money issues. And, man, did he not have a great game or what? Man, I was cheering this dude on the entire game. He ends up going, I believe, he went for 135 yards, 4.4 average uh, per carry with 31 attempts. He had two touchdowns. He caught five balls out of the backfield. I'm just saying if you take the 135 yards uh, per game, if he's going to average that over 16 games, he's going to have 2,160 yards. I, mean, I know that's <laughs> I know that's wishful thinking. But, man, what a great way to start a season. And, and my, my uh, comment on the whole thing is Levy and who? I mean, great game by James <laughs> Conner, man. Awesome. Well, I mean, you know, we always talk about quarterbacks, and we go, oh, that guy's a system quarterback. That guy. But we hardly ever do it with running backs. And 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 maybe they've got a great offensive line. They've got a great system. And maybe that's why Le'Veon Bell is so good. Maybe you put him, you know, in, in a different uh, system that doesn't have great offensive line, and maybe he's not so good. So maybe he got a little exposed here. It'll be interesting to see if he's now telling his agent, dude, we're back. Come on, we got to go. This guy's going to take my job. But if I'm Pittsburgh— You've already paid the guy. He's not getting paid now. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's not going to sign long term. Maybe, maybe you go all in on Connor and you cut this guy because you've already paid him his signing bonus and all that stuff. You know, right. I don't know. You could do that or not. But I mean, I was rooting for him number one because it's a great story and you you always want guys like that to win. But I also there was a part of me that wanted to stick it to Le'Veon Bell just because I don't like the guy. I don't like his attitude. I don't like the way he carries himself. I don't like a lot about him. You know, personally, he's a great running back, but just. Not really, not really feeling his vibe. I guess is yeah. the best way to say it. So I was happy that Connor did so well. <laughs> I know, man. He's 135 yards as your opening game as a rookie, man. That's just got to be something else. And don't you know his family who has been with him through all this? This is a guy who had, a, you know, record-setting years to start off his uh, college career at Pitt. You know, he thought he was going to go pro for sure, and then you just see it oh, all yeah. disappear, and you think, oh, it's done. Forget about playing football. How? how well, what about just life, man? So. They uh, have him go all the way through chemotherapy, you know, and he loses weight and he gets smaller and he, you know, comes back and he does a great, uh, you know, next year at, at Pitt and then they get to get drafted. I mean, talk about the lows and the highs, man. He probably never thought he was going to ever see a football field again and then uh, to be able to do what he did. I'm just I'm just very, very proud of him. But you're right, man. The Steelers, though, if they get uh, Big Ben healthy, 
get James Conner doing his thing. I know it was somewhat embarrassing probably for them to tie the Browns, but let's face it, this is not the Cleveland Browns of the last five years. This team, Cleveland Browns, got a little bit behind them. This is my Cleveland Browns. Over the offseason, I was so distraught with my Chiefs and Andy Reid, who I still know what Andy Reid's all about, so I know exactly how the Chiefs are going to end their season, even though they had that big win over the over the uh, the Chargers. Um, so I developed, I said, I'm going to take the Browns as my team. And I really liked what we were doing. I'm going to call them we now. I liked what we were, were doing. I don't understand why we drafted Baker Mayfield, because I do like Tyrod Taylor, but um, I like the Browns. I think they are moving the right direction. I think there might be a little changing of the guard going on here uh, with Cleveland. They got Mayfield, who's not even playing yet, but um, yeah, the Browns, like you said, it ain't it ain't your dad's Browns for the last years, where they were just a, a rollover, you know, two, three win team at the most. Yeah, I think uh, the uh, AFC North is wide open, man. You got the Bengals winning a big one last night, so uh, who knows hey. where that's going to happen, so it's, it's pretty open. There's a lot of good games going on uh, right now, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to say right now before we get to it, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what's going to happen. The Chiefs are going to look great. They're going to look like one of the best teams <laughs> in the AFC. They're going to win 11 games. They're going to host a first-round playoff in Arrowhead, and they're going to lose. <laughs> He's a little bitter. Mark if you don't know, right Ferris is a little bitter Mark over the right years uh, with uh, Andy Reid and his uh, Kansas City Chiefs, but you never, <laughs> never know what's going to happen. they got some good things going on with the Chiefs right now. they got to admit, there are a few good things looking going their way, and you got to be a little bit happy about guys like uh, Mahomes and those guys. Dude, they're the most exciting regular season team in football. I love them in the regular season. I have no no doubts. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, anyway, got that going on. And then, uh, obviously, uh, the NFL with all the different injuries going on right now is very, very interesting. But I want to give a big shout-out to uh, Old Miss and Phil Longo. Remember Phil Longo? We had him on the show yeah. here, the offensive coordinator. And, man, what a great uh, start he's had. Obviously, uh, our show is broadcast out of uh, Texas, so he, you know, he whipped up on our Texas Tech Red Raiders and had a great offensive showing there. But I really think maybe he has a chance uh, with that offense to go up against Alabama. This is going to be the first huge, huge test for him. What a big hurdle going up against Alabama. But if anybody's offense can figure it out, I think Phil Longo can do it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. We got some karma going there, so I'm, I'm liking that. We're going to take full credit for every success they have the rest of this yes, year because absolutely. we had him on. but. You know, when we interviewed him, we just thought he was such a solid dude, man. Yeah. I mean, you could tell he just he had his head on right. He's excited. He could get guys fired up, but he could also be calm. So I don't think you're going to see any panic in Phil Longo going up against uh, Alabama. Now, can they pull it off? You know, I don't know, but they're not they're not going to feel any way like they they can't beat those guys. He's going to have those guys ready to go, and he's going to have some he's going to have some new plays in the system that uh, you know for Saban to have to counter. Hey, remember. We had on uh, Jack Morris a few months, maybe about, maybe almost a year ago now. Jack mm-hmm. Morris, Black Jack, he ended up getting in the Hall of Fame after we highlighted him after on Docs and Jocks. Yep. We had on Darren Woodson for the Dallas Cowboys, who deserved to be in every ring of honor but in throughout football, and he made the Dallas Cowboys ring of honor. So yep. I would like to say, that when we, you come on Docs and Jocks, all you celebrities listen to our show this week uh, that's being broadcast across the nation, if you come on Docs and Jocks, good things happen. That's all I'm saying. Phil Longo is well, uh, just the yeah. latest in a long cast. You hired Hawk, and he was able to get some girl to marry him, a beautiful yes. lady. And it, Oh, what? wait a minute. Was he already married before you? I know. Mm-mm. No, we'll take credit for that, too. <laughs> Best thing that ever happened. Yep, him. yep. Lots of because good things of happen here on Docs and Jocks. So. Hey, speaking of good things not happening, Steven Strasburg this week, uh, the uh, Washington Nationals pitcher, so he is pitching. You know, he's a flamethrower. He throws one up and in. It hits the Phillies' uh, Alfredo. The ball then bounces off of his elbow, hits Matt Wieters in the head, bounces off of his catcher's mask, and hits the umpire 
uh, Harry Windlestat in the head. <laughs> All three of them go down on one pitch. No joke, man. So when you're talking about getting injured, we always talk about, you know, balls riding up and in and the batter getting injured. I've never seen in my career, and this is the great thing about baseball. You can, Ferris mm-hmm. and I have watched thousands of games. Ferris is a, is a baseball broadcaster, and, and I, he and I both love baseball. I don't know if I've ever seen one foul ball take out all three guys at the plate ever. Have you ever seen that? I've, I've never. I've never seen it. It's like it's like that Seinfeld episode with the magic loogie with Keith Hernandez <laughs> spitting and hitting hitting uh, Kramer. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I've ne- I'd never seen it before. It, that's hilarious. Yeah, no, it uh, hit all three of them. It rode up and in. It bounced off Alfredo, hits Weeters in the head, bounces off of his mask or helmet, and hits the umpire square in the face on his face mask, and they all go down. So, Well, I say hilarious, but they were all okay, right? They were all okay, yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. Alfredo <laughs> took his base, and then they – yeah, that's a great thing. Hey, the other thing is, uh, if you can, man, I don't, I don't – I still don't understand why we don't wear the mask in front of the helmet. But the other thing is – Either. If they allow you in baseball to wear the elbow shield on your arm that's facing the pitcher, and they allow you to wear the guard, yeah. I just why say, wouldn't say why wouldn't you? I just don't, I don't understand it. And uh, we're getting ready to have on uh, Caleb Mutt, my young son. He he doesn't wear me. Makes thinks it makes him feel. Uh, and you know the other thing is when you're constantly taking gear on and off too, it's kind of a hassle because catchers are taking it on and off all the time. Yeah, then you got to go find it out of your bag and all that stuff. But anything that would give you protection from a ball being a hard projectile coming at you at 90 miles an hour. I think it's worthwhile to put something in front of you and it. Pitchers won't like it because they like they like that threat of going up and in and you getting that. Remember Bond used to yeah. hang that Barry thing Bond's out over and he had care, the man. whole guard is like, yeah. who cares? Like had a whole armored shield on the yeah, side pitchers, of his body. Pitchers so. did not like that. Hey, when we're going to be coming back, we're going to be talking to Tag Deuce, strength and conditioning coach who's training young baseball players like uh, young Mr. Caleb Mutton. We'll have him on. Talk about all that and more here on Docs and Jocks Sports Fencer Radio Show. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin-Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. We're coming to you from inside the Forge Abilene Sports Training Facility here deep in the heart of Texas. want to say thank you to all our wonderful listeners. also want to say thank you to my co-host each week, Ferris Potter, for being a great part of the show. Hey, Ferris, uh, we're very honored to have on. Uh, we've talked about... Caleb Munton and Tag Deuce numerous times. We've had Tag Deuce on the show a couple of times. We've talked about Caleb over the years. In fact, I get accused of talking about him all the time because, you know, you use my sports analogies, my sports medicine analogies, a lot of come, times come down to my personal experiences. So I talk about my daughters and their volleyball experience. I talk about Caleb and his baseball. So I thought it would be fun to have him come on with Tag Deuce, who is his strength and conditioning coach here at a Forge Javelin where they do baseball training and have them talk about how you train for baseball. So, Caleb, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Yeah, it's nice to finally be on. I've listened to so many episodes. Uh, <laughs> I know. It's actually being on <laughs> Being on, yeah. So, Caleb, just give you a little of his background. He's a, a senior high school baseball player at Wiley High School, where Wiley's won uh, two-time uh, state champions with uh, Caleb, who's their catcher. Uh, he's also a Texas State commit, Texas State University. We've had on their, their great coaches, uh, Coach Ty Harrington and Steve Trout, have been on Docs and Jocks. Uh, he's been a 4A state tournament team uh, uh, name. Uh, inductee he's also a 4a district offensive mvp 4a newcomer newcomer of the year also an under armor uh baseball factory preseason all-american and then we have on tag deuce tag uh is a previous dallas baptist university uh baseball player where they were ranked number one in the nation he was their starting right fielder his brother matt deuce and he had both been on uh, matt's place for the st louis cardinals organization so let's start with you tag so when people ask me a lot of times they'll say hey what is what do you, what do you, what does Caleb do to train in the, to get ready for baseball? And you're you're his strength and conditioning coach. You're a certified strength and conditioning coach. 
What do you do with baseball players that is maybe a little bit different than what you would do for just a general athlete or maybe a football player or basketball player? Yeah, well, baseball is uh, very specific. Um, just kind of your general athletes, you kind of just work on, say, like your bilateral exercises like squat, um, deadlift, just to kind of maximize lower body, um, upper body strength. Um, baseball specific, you know, the big key with baseball is longevity. Um, um, working on, you know, your core strength, working on um, how your scapular muscles work, your shoulder, um, keeping your shoulder healthy. Um, basically working on rotational power. So, yeah, it is a lot different um, than your general athlete just because the demands of the sport are so specific. Um, there's so much power involved, such short bursts. Um, you can't just train just, you know, bigger, faster, stronger and get better. Yeah, right. And uh, tell, us, t- tell me, Caleb, like when you're working out with TAG and you're doing the, the uh, w- baseball workout routines, tell me kind of what you typically uh, do with him that uh, w- so our listening audience kind of knows the general workout you all are doing. Um, yeah, it's not like powerlifting type stuff you'd see in most like football workouts. It's more like rotational power, um, a lot of lower body, uh, strengthening the core is, is uh, a lot of what we do every day because baseball is such a um, core emphasis sport. Um, but I would say the main difference is rotational power and working on that. Lots of side med ball throws and um, Russian twists and things like that. Yeah, because if you think of baseball, I mean, you're thinking of uh, that is exactly what you're doing in baseball. A swing is rotational. A throw is rotational to a point. So all those same things. Tag, talk to us a difference about uh, you want to be powerful, but you want to still be explosive. How do those two things join together in a conditioning program for a baseball player? Well, I think the big thing for baseball is everything kind of starts with the core. And what's difficult about baseball is linking the core. Now, you see really big guys who can't hit the ball that far. And then you see these little guys whose body works really well, you know, and he's hitting balls a lot farther. And I just think it's about linking that chain, um, being able to transfer energy from your lower body to your upper body through the core. Right. Like you always talk about how important your core is, you know, baseball especially. Exactly. Ferris, you have a question? Hey, Tag, so do you you change the workout based on the position? Like Caleb's a catcher, a lot of squatting, a lot of different things. Do you change it or is it pretty much the same basic workout regardless of whether you're a pitcher, everyday player, positional catcher, that type of thing? I mean, it is very similar. Uh, I think it also depends on the level you're at and what your specific needs are. So for some of my younger guys just coming up, um, you know, just working on kind of general strength is the first part. You know, staying away from heavy overhead pressing, of course, you know, would make it more baseball specific. Whereas Caleb being a little bit more advanced, um, you know, pretty much a college athlete right now, we're being, you know, working outside the sagittal plane, um, working more frontal, working more rotational power. Um, but also lower body explosiveness because he's a catcher. You know, so right. working on um, kind of plyometrics, um, mm-hmm. working on, you know, kneeling, jumping up, um, and box jumping, you know, working on lower body explosiveness. That's specific to his position. Yeah, we need to get some of those posted maybe on our uh, Docs and Jocks Instagram where he's kneeling down, Caleb is, on his knees, and he jumps up onto the box. So, yeah, Ferris. Hey, Caleb, so your dad and I came from uh, this era where baseball players weren't supposed to work out because they would get muscle bound. <laughs> supposed to lift weights, and a guy yeah. named Lance Parrish and Brian Downing, both uh-huh. catchers, uh, started working out. And people were like, oh, it's going to ruin you. H- how do you think as you've gotten uh, you know, deeper in this process, I mean, you're getting ready to go to college in a year or two. How has weightlifting and strength training helped develop you as an athlete and as a baseball player? Um a huge thing is stamina, being able to go longer, uh, deeper into innings and not tire out, being able to have the same intensity all the way through the game. And um, just 
baseball is a lot of your swing and mechanics, but if you can add strength and uh, core strength and rotational power to that swing, you're going to get a lot more out of your swing. So, In a, in a weird way, catching in high school, uh, you'll catch a lot more on an individual day sometimes, maybe not as many games in a week, but sometimes, Caleb, uh, give, us your, give us your longest day. Um, this year, third round of playoffs, we go out of town. It's a three-hour drive to Iowa Park. We play into extra innings. We play eight innings that night. I caught all eight. The next day, we come back. It's a 10-in-the-morning game. We play the first inning. I catch 75 pitches. Our pitchers can't throw strikes. And I, so I probably catch about 130 pitches in that game alone. They won that one. So we had to get, go to game three, and I caught another seven innings <laughs> that game. So what, what, what Caleb doesn't tell you, too, is uh, the night game, the very first game, he didn't like the way he was, he was hitting at the plate. So when he got home at like uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, he said, Dad, let's go out to the bar and i got to work on some things. And so we went out and worked on a few things uh, that night at 1 o'clock in the morning. By the way, his first at bat the next game, what did you do, Caleb? Home run to Home run. Center. I'm just telling you, it worked. So, yeah, so you've you got to be, be able to put in the time. Hey, so when you hit home runs like that, Caleb, do you, as you're rounding the bases, do you, do you say thank you to Tag for all the workouts? You, <laughs> yeah, I give him a, give him a like wave a kiss from second base. Two fingers, like yeah. reduced that you hold oh, yeah. up, you know? Yeah. As you round. yeah, no, Tag is his idol, though. There's no question about that. But, <laughs> hey, Caleb, talk about all the other – so you do uh, physical training. You do your with uh, working out with Tag, strength conditioning. But talk about some of the other things that maybe people don't understand that goes into a young baseball player's workouts these days yeah ferris and i we just grew up playing playing so talk to him about maybe the mental side of things uh nutrition all the other things you do um yeah nutrition's a huge deal uh keeping my diet good tag also helps me with that um he keeps me uh honest to that and then i do vision training every day after workout i use visual edge and then i go to a abilene optometrist and we really work on depth perception and um convergence which is as an object gets closer to you um, being able to focus in on that object so I can it's an it's a noticeable difference after I've been doing uh vision training for a while. I can see the ball a lot better. I can see the spin um of the laces a lot better. And then one other aspect of it is mental training. Um I've worked with a lot of different people and just being ha- having that mental toughness of not letting a bad day um define let let that define who you are and um just staying strong. And your mom is a certified in uh yeah, she is. In a that helps strength, a lot. <laughs> middle strength specialist too. So her dad, his dad's a sports medicine doctor. His mom's a uh, so dude. He, yeah, you I get know. done with the game. That ride home is I'm just poor kid. beat up oh, for yeah. everything hey, on oh, that yeah. ride home. I just want to tell you, everything I've Holy ever given cow. advice to parents on about uh, youth sports <laughs> is because I have screwed it up mainly with my daughters. And as you go, your next kids, you get a little bit better. You just screw up your oldest one, and then you go down. So Caleb's <laughs> have son of that benefit, but yeah. When they say, don't talk about the game on the ride home, I'm like, oh, dang. Sorry, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Let's don't, break don't it down, baby. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, so you work with uh, Tag on uh, strength conditioning. Tag, talk about uh, your transition and how you going through it yourself. You going from, you know, playing baseball in Arizona out of Grand Canyon University, in high school in Grand Canyon University, and going and playing at Dallas Baptist University at the time, the number one ranked team in the nation. Tell about uh, that transition from going from one level to the next and how you've helped uh, use that and prepare Caleb for Texas State. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, going from high school to college, I didn't really have a strength coach, and so I was just kind of winging it every time I'd go in the weight room. Um, and then just seeing, you know, the level of effort and intensity that guys put in the weight room, that's the main thing that I've really tried to pass on to Caleb, and that's kind of what I've seen him shift here recently especially um, is he's kind of already getting that college mindset, and I'm trying to tell him, 
you know, as you go into college, you know, everyone brings it every single day. And, you know, and that's a big thing with strength training as well. You can go in and, and work out and get the uh, work done. But as the levels get more and more, um, you know, as you get higher up, you have to bring a different type of intensity each day in order to, you know, make that make that leap. Yeah. All right, Caleb. What's your favorite workout? The one you see, you know, oh, I like doing that. And what's the one when Tax says, all right, we're doing this. You go, dude, seriously, I don't want to do that. Uh, my favorite workout, I actually enjoy doing core. Uh, every day at the end of workout, I'm like, hey, can we do a little extra hey, core? Tell them the test you do, your core test you do. We do. You hold yourself from the pull-up bar. You try to hold your arms at about 90 degrees. And then you lift your legs up to about waist level. Doing an L. Yeah, so it's, it, we call them L holds. And it's super challenging. And me and Tag uh, try to beat our personal records every day. And put then, a little deal underneath your feet, so as soon as your feet sink, you're done. Yeah. And yeah. then my well, least favorite workout would definitely be Bulgarian squats. We just recently started doing those. And I, I think about two weeks was our, actually our first time doing it. And I could hardly get out of bed the next day. Yeah. So every time he tells me we're doing that, I'm like, do we have to do that today? <laughs> yeah, he was walking to breakfast like, oh, my gosh, I can't feel my legs. So, That's yeah, awesome. but, man, if you ever want to come check it out and see if it uh, might be the place, if you're in this area, Tag Deuce uh, works out of the uh, Forge Abilene. He works with Scotty Sanchez uh, with the Forge Baseball Academy, and you can just go to theforgeabilene.com and figure out how to do that. But uh, I want to say thanks to Tag Deuce for all the great uh, time you put in with all these young kids, man. You've worked with the entire Cooper baseball team, worked with kids like Caleb and, and Dash. Albus and Tyler Spears, a lot of great kids that have come through this system. Zach Smith is uh, from a few years back. But I want to say thank you for doing that. And, Caleb, thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, you've heard, you've listened to it your entire life. Yeah. Now you've been part of it, man. I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. All right. Hey, we're right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We'll be talking more about what's going on in the sports medicine news. Also, remember, we'd love to have you as uh, one of our guests as well. If you'll just uh, call us at uh, docsandjocks.com and let us know your email, your question, uh, we can do that. We'll be right back. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, sports medicine radio show. Great to have you join us today. Hey, remember, if you ever want to check out our show and uh, listen to our entire show anytime, anywhere, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com or our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X and J-O-X. want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors including uh, Lawrence Hall Chevrolet and all the great things they've done here on our show. Hey, Ferris, uh, enjoyed that last interview. I think um, if you haven't been around, let's say you're, you know, you grew up in the 70s, 80s, and you haven't been around sports in any real way, shape, or form, the landscape has changed where, you know, you see kids like uh, Caleb Mutton, who's an 18-year-old, who's he's working hard in high school, like really doing season off-season training and doing, really doing training all year round for his sport. That is definitely something different than what we grew up watching and seeing for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's taken a while. I mean, Tag even mentioned when he was in high school, they didn't have a strength training there. They didn't have anything specific for that, you know. And, you know, his dad was a great baseball player. But, I mean, you guys just pounded weights at, at GCU when you got there. But in high school, it was just like kind of like lift like a football player. And, you know, even on some of your recruiting trips, even still now, you've talked to some strength coaches like, oh, we just lift like football players. Yes. You know, it's like. So it's, it's, it is changing. Everybody knows you need to work out and lift, but that specialization is still a little rare at that, at the high school level. Uh, so what you guys are doing there at the forge is significant for those kids in that general area for sure. Yeah. If I had a young one uh, that was going through baseball training and I really wanted them to get next level, I'd get them with Scotty Sanchez and tag deuce and, and do the baseball training they do, but also do 
the uh, sport-specific activities. Tag has, and, yeah. and, and Caleb mentioned the Bulgarian squats. I didn't tell you what that is, but I thought I'd, I'd try and kind of explain it. So they get a trap bar, and they have the weights loaded on, the 45s on both sides, you know. So instead of doing a squat where you're bent forward, you'd hurt your back, you're going straight up with it. And then mm-hmm. and then you also, uh, and Tag could get this right if I'm doing these right, but the trap bar squats, you're just going straight up, and then the tra- and the uh, Bulgarian squats, you're going straight down. But especially with the trap bar ones, you're exploding as well. So Bulgarian, you're holding a weight in a bar in front of you. So you're holding it at your chest level. You do a squat with one leg, and your back leg is on a box. And you're basically doing a one-legged squat, but you're doing it with explosive weight. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you, is, is, your, is your leg on a box behind you? Behind you. So, so you're like got- a, almost like a – yeah, okay. Almost so, like a split squat, but yeah. with weights, and then you're going with for power. And you're exploding Those with Bulgarians, power. Those Bulgarians, what are they thinking? I know. They always do the weird stuff. And then the trap bar squats, they just explode straight up with it, with the trap bar loaded. So you're not doing it like a slow lift. Because remember, catchers want to get up quick, right? When they want to explode to go to second base, mm-hmm. they're staying low, but they're doing it quick. They're exploding up from their catcher squat quickly so we try and they try and mimic those types of movements same with a medicine ball throw you're doing that rotational spin you're not doing it slow you're doing it fast because that's what you want to do in baseball trap bar is that the one you stand inside of it uh-huh it, like looks, it goes around yeah. yeah it looks like a square but the it has uh the uh, weights are on the side the, the the slide-ons for the weights are on the outside of that so as you go down and grab it you're grabbing it on the sides of your knees basically and you're just going straight up you're trying to prevent that heavy heavy forward loading like you see Sometimes when you do heavy weights, uh, squats overhead, those kind of things. Cause you Is that a deadlift motion then if you're starting on the ground with it and pulling up, but you, but it's not the same motion because it's the you, bars. The bars, up. yeah, the bars back. You know, you're holding gotcha. on to the handles on the side yep. instead of the deadlift in front of you. So anyway, those are all kinds of things, just explosive weight training with rotational movements that try and closely mimic baseball but get you to do heavy weight and you're doing resistance training with it. So You know, I'll tell you, I mean, like I said, back in the day, it, re- it really was Lance Parrish and Brian Downing who started lifting weights and getting big, and everybody yeah. was like, dude, you're going to ruin your careers, you know? Well, let me take you back and, to the uh, one generation before that. That was Mike Compton, who we've had here on the radio show. Mike Compton was yeah. a catching coordinator for the Phillies and the Reds, and he caught in the big leagues, and he used to, he was a smaller-sized catcher. Compi, I think, was like 5'9", weighed like – he got himself up to 200 by lifting weights. He said, with my small frame – I had to pack on some muscle or I wasn't going to be able to make it through a major league season. So he was big into weight training, and they used to give him a hard time about it. They told him yeah. he was going to ruin himself. And then next thing you know, he starts working with other catchers. And like you said, the, the uh, Brian Downings and Lance Parrish, and now we see everybody doing it. You're exactly right. But that was a good interview we had with Mike Compton where he talked about the very beginning stages of weight training in baseball. Yeah, and there's always those outliers out there, right, that do it. But, you know, your superstars just weren't – I mean, George Brett didn't touch a weight, you know, until mm-hmm. he was well into his career. And then it was like, oh, I got to start doing something so I can keep playing, you know. Those guys, I mean, Ozzie Smith, Lou Brocks, all, they just went out and did their thing, you know. They didn't yeah. work out. Yeah, but the days of uh, stealing bases versus hitting long balls have uh, definitely switched. We now see more long ball hitters, and you better be able – what does uh, Corey Aldridge say? Nobody pays me to hit ground balls. They pay me to hit home runs or something like that, that effect. But, yeah, you want to get the ball in the air and you want to get it out, you got to be powerful to do that. Yeah, I will say another interesting thing that would be great to talk to Tag at some point in the future about too is, I mean, you know, the differences between, okay, prepping, you know, off-season training, yes. like we talked about, and then the, you know, the in-season because – you got to still do something to keep your to keep your fitness and your strength up, but you're also playing 162 games at the major league level. In college, you're playing you know 60 games in uh, you know sometimes 
sometimes you're playing five games a week and you're not used to that really coming right out of high school, but you still got to work out. But if you do the same workout, you might be blitzed for the game. So there is a, there's a difference in how you train, you know, during the season, I would imagine, but that oh, we can yeah. talk about too. Hey, uh, let's talk about the NFL for a little bit here. We see that the Patriots who have gone eight and O in the Tom Brady era against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. They are this week. It's going to be the Jags running back, uh, uh, Leonard Fournette. He is now questionable due to a hamstring injury. And the coach said it's going to be a day-to-day uh, decision. But the uh, I think this is going to be a good. great game. We've been a lot of talk about Gronkowski. Somebody said he's not as he's overrated, always the same old nonsense they always say. But it's going to be an interesting game. But Tom Brady's 8-0 and against the Jags, man. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I think if you listen to this podcast on Monday, he'll be 9-0. and But um, <laughs> that would be, be my guess, especially if they don't have Leonard Fournette. Yes, big injury right there, man. If they don't have that guy running – Remember, hamstrings are tough, man. Hamstrings are one of those injuries that when they occur, that I always say, if you're a sports medicine physician, if you could invent a way to make ankle sprains and hamstring injuries get better faster, you would be a multi, multi, multi millionaire. I'm just telling mm-hmm. you, man. They've we've come up with all different ways to try and improve it, but there's just ways. It seems like hamstring injuries don't get better faster than they used to, and ankle sprains just seem to like they they both of those things linger. They're going to be about the same amount of time, no matter what you do. Uh, we know that if you get the swelling out of an ankle injury faster, it can get, it can get better quicker. But, it's uh, man, it's a tough go. But I, I, if you have a hamstring strain as a running back, good luck, man. Oh, geez. I think, I think the actual timeline for an ankle injury, you can get better. But the actual timeline for an ankle injury to ever get back to normal is never. Like, I know. like ankle injuries seem to like 10 years later, your ankle is still doesn't rotate quite as far as it know. did. You know? It just once those things go, it's like all right, you're limited a bit for the rest of your life. And on the that reason one. is it as a an ankle injury. Actually, what an ankle sprain is, it's a ligamentous injury, and a ligament is what holds one bone to another bone. So when you, you know, you sprain that ligament, it stretches it out. So it truly does give you more play. It's never quite as tight as it used to be. So the next time you go to roll it, boom, it rolls even further, a little faster before you feel it, and then it goes even further. So. We call it uh, ankle instability that happens over time when you have a really, really bad ankle. But, yeah, and you nailed it, Ferris. That's actually given a name because of it happens so frequently that once you have an ankle injury, it rolls into the next ankle injury. The number one predictor of having an ankle injury is having had an ankle injury before. So it's that bad. It actually give it a name. It, it, that's interesting, and it seems that way. That's just uh, – it's a tough one. And that, like you said, the hamstring ones, that kind of makes you beg the question, okay – do we rest a guy? Do we keep resting him? Or do yeah. we just kind of try to play through it? Because it might not get better. Even if you're resting four, five, six weeks, it'll get better, obviously. But, yeah, you know, if he tweaks it again, might as well just try to play on it if, he, if at all possible. Exactly. Hey, uh, speaking of trying to play on, uh, David Wright, I mentioned earlier that he uh, decided to retire. Remember, David Wright was the all-star third baseman for the uh, New York Mets. Mm-hmm. He was their captain uh, for the last several years. He's their longest tenured player, seven uh, all-star games, two gold gloves. And he decided that he is going to go ahead – and call it quits, and the reason is, is he's had uh, he had cervical stenosis in this in the spine, which in your neck, what uh, your your spinal cord has a uh, canal that it runs down through a ring, basically a bony ring, and it runs down through that. And in some players, for different reasons, the spinal cord will get crimped, whether that's the disc in the front of that canal pushing back, we call that disc protrusions, bulges, herniations, or you can get joint arthritis in the back of the neck that. Remember when your joints get knuckly from arthritis, they, they get bigger. And so as they get bigger in the neck, that canal gets smaller because it makes up the back of the ring. All those things together combine to make a smaller canal. And some people are just born with smaller canals to start with. So they don't have as much room for the spinal cord. So he had surgery to open up that ring and uh, he had that surgery done on his neck. Then he uh, had a uh, low back injury. 
He ended up having a low back surgery to remove a disc herniation he had in his back. And then he had a shoulder surgery uh, to repair a shoulder injury. He felt like he couldn't come back. He had too many injuries. He didn't feel like they were going to get better from where he was. And he decided to hang it up. But uh, they are doing this fair. So I was going to get your take if you think this is pretty cool. He said, I want to come back and play one more game. So the Mets are out of it. They're, they're already, I think, mathematically already hit their magic number, whatever that was. And they've had just a rough year. I think it'll give the Mets a good thing for the fans to kind of latch on to. But September 29th, he's going to come back. He's going to play one more game to tell the fans adios. Pretty cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, you know, I, I was just looking back at his stats um, when they announced that. And it, it feels like he's been injured his entire career. But in reality, you know, he had that that spread there where, what, six, seven uh, all-star games in a row. And I look back on a 13-year career, there was only a – I mean, in, in 2011, he only played 102 games. And, you know, 2013, only 112. And in 15, 16, he's just been unable to come back, like you mentioned. But, you know, Dr. Ben, his 162-game averages are hitting 296, driving in 99, hitting 25 home runs, and scoring 97. I mean, those are, those are great numbers, yeah. you know? Yeah, it reminds That's me how of good a, he was. a guy like Lance Berkman we had on last year. You realize he was such a good player. And then you look at his stats, you're like, he might have been a great player, man. I mean, that's just how... The stats sometimes you don't realize them on those guys, but he played 13 years, and once again he's going to get penalized because he doesn't play long into his twilight years, you know, and get up, get some big numbers that would allow him to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, I'm going to say the name David Wright. You always use this as your Hall of Fame test. David Wright, Hall of Famer, not Hall of Famer, not Hall of Famer. Yeah. So he just, but if he he had been healthy and played another five years, put up the numbers you just said, his averages are close to him. He gets pretty close if he'd played 18 years and had those numbers. Get into 20 years, or Willie Mays had 24 years, you start putting up some astronomical numbers. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was talking to Hawk about this uh, this morning. We were prepping for the show, and I was just saying, um, I look, I think of a Hall of Famer as that. You say his name, and yeah, he's in, you know, that type of thing. So I don't even really care that much about the numbers initially. I'm just like, oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. But the way they do it now, they let a lot of guys in that I don't think they should. So having said that, in this day and age of the Hall of Fame, yeah, if he had played three or four more years even at that those prolific levels, he'd have been about 25, 2,600 hits, you know. Yeah. He'd have been close. He would have been, you know, what did he finish with, 240? He'd have been about 400-plus home runs, you know. Mm-hmm. So he'd be right there in the conversation in the way they currently do. I'm just one of those guys, like the Hall of Fame should be very rare. So even when they put, like, five guys in, I'm like, I don't know about that, you know. Um, yeah. I like it to be rare. Yeah, and, yeah. They said it was a uh, thirteen uh, played thirteen years. It's, to me, it seems like David Wright's been playing for the last twenty. I don't know why it seems like he's been around forever, but he didn't. Weird. Even, yeah, only thirteen years. So I guess he started his career around uh, what is that, two thousand and five, something like that. I was thinking he was even in the game. Oh, four. Yeah. Yeah. Where, but he wasn't even in the game. That was Piazza. They had the great game uh, in the two thousand and one game. We just had nine eleven. Speaking of which, one of the greatest games ever. By the way, if you ever want to go see an incredibly moving baseball game, if there is such a thing emotionally. When the Mets played the Atlanta Braves, it was the first game after they resumed baseball after the 9-11-2001 horrific incident here in the United States occurred. They played that game, and Mike Piazza has the uh, walk-off, and it's just such an incredible game. uh, My buddy, uh, Corey Aldridge, was actually in that game. Mm. But do you remember that game, Ferris? Remember the Braves and the Mets playing the the first game after the All-Star break? Or after the uh, 9-11? I remember the highlights of it. And and then, of course, you know, if you Google and watch uh, President Bush throwing out the first pitch, no matter what you think about politics, first pitch at Yankee Stadium when he went out there without a bulletproof vest because he said, no, no, thanks, guys. Uh He walks right out there, he stands on the mound, and he fires a strike. And everybody, I mean – 
Everybody went crazy. Yeah, he said he was talking to Derek Jeter under the uh, thing. He goes, don't throw a ball or the uh, fans here will boo you. And sure enough, man, George <laughs> W. reared back. One of the great moments. No matter what you think of George W., man, he was just a great. Unbelievable. That, that moment was one of his greatest moments as president's career. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks in our closing segment here. Man, it's been great having you with us. Every week's a great week for our listeners. Man, I want to say thank you for you guys doing what you do as far as making our podcast one of the fastest growing podcasts out there. Remember, you can go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and you can follow us and subscribe to us there on our podcast, which is on iTunes or Podcast Arena on SB Nation. Uh, go to podcasts and uh, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. want to say thank you to our wonderful guest we had on, Russ Ortiz, um, former Major League Baseball player, former All-Star, National League uh, wins champ, as well as uh, Tag Deuce and uh, Caleb Mutton talking about how you do training in uh, baseball players. Man, been a lot of fun doing that. want to say thank you to my co-host each week, Ferris Potter. Ferris, been a great show. Yeah, a lot of fun. Don't forget uh, Russ's uh, group 2GG yes. Apparel for uh, Second Guy, Second Gal Golf, um, and they donate all the proceeds. So great guy. Glad to have him on. He's got so many stories. We should do like a two-hour-long podcast with him because he's got stories about well, that's kind of all what you, those guys. That's kind of what you guys do when you did the WAC tournament, uh, when you guys were broadcasting that last year. It was like a basically a two-hour uh, interview with him, and you're talking about all the days, him pitching with Maddox and those guys. Yeah, he's fun to have uh, as an analyst because he sees things that you don't see. He pitched at the highest level. But then if a game ever gets out of hand, you know, you always wonder, what are guys going to talk about? You just let him tell stories, and you're good to go. Yeah, I didn't bring up the game. Uh, he pitched against the uh, Angels in the 2002 World Series. Uh, he, he pitched six great innings. He gets yeah. pulled uh, in the sixth inning, uh, leading five to nothing after his former high school teammate uh, who played for the Angels got a hit off of him. And he got pulled, and then uh, he was thinking he was going to be. They were going to win it. They, the, uh, at the time, they were up three games to two, and they end up. Uh, the Angels have a great comeback. Our good friend, who's been on the show many times, Tim Salmon, was part of that Angels comeback, and they end up having to come back, and then they end up losing Game Seven. But uh, he pitched great in that Game Six. You remember he had gotten lit up his first start in that World yes. Series, and they went back to him. Everyone's like, "Oh, they should skip and they should skip." And Dusty said, "No." When Dusty pulled him, he gave him the baseball. Yep. Like he gave him the game ball on the mound, and everybody's like, "Whoa, that." Probably shouldn't do that, and I'm sure the Angels did not appreciate that one. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, hey, what we do appreciate here on Docs and Jocks is all our wonderful listeners. Uh, from myself, Dr. Dan, and my co-host, Ferris Potter, we want to say uh, thank you for being great listeners and loyal listeners. Remember, we'd love to have your question. You can do so by going to contact us on docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and hit contact us, and you can send us your email and give us your question. Until next week, hey, find out what exercise it is that you will do. The best exercise is the one that you will find out that you do. And uh, until then, we'll see you next week here on Docs and Jocks. So long. <laughs>